This podcast is a ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Hatfield, Pennsylvania. And now, the message. Well, we're going to dive into God's Word for a few minutes. Um, And so if you have a copy of your scriptures, I'm going to encourage you to, to take that out. We are continuing our study of 1 Corinthians, a beautiful mess, just like us. And uh, what I want to do this morning is kind of finish what we began talking about last week and then make a couple of applications before we go. I I realize that we've had a full morning already. So what we've talked about in this series is that this church was struggling. It was more like its culture than it was like what God intended. And so Paul's writing them and he's correcting them, right? We've talked about that. We get to chapter 5 and now instead of talking about divisions and all those kind of things, now he's addressing a different problem and the problem was an immoral setting, an immoral issue. We start reading about it in, Acts, uh, in 1 Corinthians 5.1. Paul writes this, It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even the pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. We talked about this last time. First, it's kind of weird that a man is sleeping with his father's wife and the church is getting scolded. Now, he'll be corrected, but Paul's bigger concern, and I want you to understand that, his bigger concern is for how the church as a whole responds, not the individual sinner only. We tend to always focus on the people and not realize how we respond makes a difference. Um, We talked about the fact that Rome, there was a lot of things that happened that were okay in Rome, but like every culture, we all have things that are still not okay. There are, there are activities that we let go all the time, and then there's things that are just deplorable, even in our country. In this setting, just like our setting, incest was not acceptable by anybody, even pagans in Rome. Paul says, you guys are, are, are okay with something that even the pagans aren't okay with. And then he has a problem. He says, and you're proud of it. We talked about that last week, too. How in the world does a church act proud about sin in their midst. But you know what? It was pretty easy to figure out. I mean, after all, they were already kind of culturally cool. They wanted to be considered cool and intellectual and, and sophisticated. And so maybe they were proud of their tolerance. Hey, we got people like that. You know what? I do something almost the same. We have had homosexuals that regularly attended Crossroads. Some of you are like, really? Now you start looking around. I'll tell you who they are later. Um, but <laughs> no, 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 okay? I'll be honest, as a pastor, I am proud of us that they are able to come and feel welcome. Not proud of their behavior. There's a difference. They were like, hey, look, we can put up with anything. We're not judgmental at all. Or maybe the guy was rich or famous, or rich and famous. Okay, Somebody rich and famous was going to your church, it would be easy to name drop. Whatever the setting, Paul says, You guys are proud, and instead, you should have been mourning. The first reaction should have been heartbreak. Oh, no, this is terrible. We hear about a divorce, and I don't know how you react when you hear about, or a a breakup, or something happened. And and it's none of my business, and I don't want to be judgmental, and yet, if we say nothing, we're almost just as bad. You almost want to go and say, hey, did I hear something? I'm so sorry. Oh, no expressing concern. That's what you would expect. By the way, that kind of a heart. When someone is going to correct you, does their heart attitude matter to you? 
If they're going to correct you, and none of us like to be corrected, but if they are going to correct you, does the way they do it, the heart, does that matter? You bet. You bet. If they come out of love, it's a lot easier to swallow. So then last week we talked about this, and we're going to review it again. Luckily, Jesus told us how to deal with sin in each other's lives. And the, the, the fact that we've been learning here is that we are supposed to. Sorry. I'm going to be honest. I'm the pastor, and I wish that wasn't the case. I wish we could just live and let live. You don't get in my life. I don't get in yours. But we talked last week. You know, none of us are surprised that God would have kind of some, I, some claims on our life. We should live a certain way. And if we should live a certain way, that probably means there's also some things that we shouldn't live out. Just makes sense. Yeah, it's not a stretch. And since we are his hands and feet, I guess it's not even a big surprise that actually we are involved often. We're involved in telling each other how to live. Sometimes we need to be involved in how to tell each other how not to live. None of us like it. Luckily, Jesus told us exactly how to do it. And we're going to review this and review this. I told you last week that all of our board, all the guys up here and some other leaders, they've been receiving training watching videos, doing workbooks, having conversations and, and discussions, learning about biblical resolution of conflict. It's all based on what Jesus said in Matthew 18. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. In verse 15, he starts with step one. He says, if your brother or sister sins, wait a minute, we all sin, right? We all sin. So he says, if they sin, what do you mean? Well, it's obvious. It's a sin that you become aware of. We all sin. But when something happens when you go, uh-oh, when it's, when it's out in behavior, when it's something that you can see or hear, then you know it's time to take action. So when a brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. Notice, just between the two of you. Hey, can I talk to you for a second? I heard you say such and such. I, I, I'm concerned. Hey, I was on Facebook. I noticed like, the, you know, uh, last night was like the fifth night in a row you're out drinking with friends. Uh, oh, believe me. <laughs> What's, what are you insinuating? I'm not insinuating anything. I'm saying, are you drinking too much? I'm not insinuating anything. I'm worried for you. Now, honestly, wouldn't you get offended? And yet, wait a minute. You had the guts to talk to me about that? Oh, my goodness, thank you. Actually, I didn't have a drink the whole time. I mean, it's okay to have a drink, but, but I see why it would look like that. Oh, thanks. Instead of, so, you think I'm a drunk? No, I think you're a sister, a brother in the Lord, and I, I, I don't want you to stumble. I don't know who you think you are. I'm the person that you should talk to next week if you see something on my Facebook that should be confronted. Please. Kind of stands everything on his head, isn't it? Doesn't it? We're not judging. There's an issue, but do this. Hey, follow Jesus. You see something on Facebook that you're worried about? Don't post it on Facebook. <laughs> you know, way to go, drunk. I was just confronting him in love. Yeah, no, okay, no, not okay. Go just between the two of you, and if he listens to you, you've won them. You've protected them. You saved them. You've yanked them out of the fire. Just the two of you. If we're honest, none of us are secure about this. And so when we think there's a problem, 
the first thing we want to do is get a little confirmation that we're not off base. Hey, what do you think? Do you think he's a drunk? Yeah, I was thinking that too. I mean, if, yeah. Oh, I didn't even know that. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm afraid. Okay, we're convinced. You know what, though? We should probably check with Scott. Hey, Scott, what do you think? And, and before you know it, you got a little mob. And then you want to go. You've already violated what Jesus said. It's a big risk to go alone. They can say, you're a jerk. What do you think? And they could, and there's nobody there to protect you, back you up. Okay. Maybe I was wrong. I was just concerned. Step two. But if they do, will not listen to you, get out of here. You're crazy. You're and you're still convinced there's a problem. Take one or two others along with you. Now you go get someone and say, hey, would you mind going with me? Here, here's why. Because I talked to them. I'm really worried about this. Or I think what that's. And I think the relationship is just not. And, and I talk to them and they don't say, would you want to go along? And somebody else comes along. And they're kind of chiming in now. Actually, I'm listening. Like, I mean, I, they're not after you. They love you. But does this really happen? Don't you think it's a problem? And suddenly there's somebody else there with you. Again, still not a mob. So that every matter may be established by a testimony of two or three witnesses. There's a check there. Could be that you are off base and the people you bring along go, whoa, whoa, whoa wait, what? That's, ridic that's ridiculous. Sorry. We've got to go, what? And, and they correct you. <sighs> Thank goodness. Step three. And if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. Now, we talked last week again. We think of church as Sunday morning. I'm going to suggest that that's not necessarily what this means, especially since for us, we always have guests visiting on Sunday. And I think we would all agree that that kind of family business, we would not parade out in front of guests. So we're probably not necessarily talking about a Sunday morning announcement. Oh, but there are churches that do that. Instead, what we are doing is... If, Often when the church talks about this kind of discipline, when it says the church, it, it really focuses first on the church leadership, which is why it was great that this morning the, the leadership board was up here. It, those men and the women, if right now we don't have any women on the board, but we have in the past, those people are charged with being the ones to, to hear some of these cases and to, to, to begin to work this out. And if there's still not a response, and action does have to be taken, which is step four, if they still refuse to listen even to the church, whether it's to the leaders or however that works, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Ouch. And if we were to do that, we would probably have to let the rest of the church know. And so perhaps there's, you know, if you're a shareholder, um, you might get a letter saying, hey, we need to tell you about something that's very difficult, but we want you to know that we're, we're involved and this is the action that we've taken. By the way, everybody knows that we treat pagans and tax collectors and unbelievers really poorly, don't we? See, that's where we've got to be so careful. We've all seen this abused. But the truth of the matter is, what he's saying is, we're going to back this thing up and start acting toward them like we did when they were still unbelievers, which was loving. We were kind. We were inviting. What, what we didn't do was asked about, gee, what's the Lord teaching you today? Hey, let me tell you what I'm struggling with. We, we didn't treat them like brothers or sisters in Christ yet because they weren't. Now here's the tricky part, and that is backing up and beginning to withhold what we've been sharing. Now for some folks in church, this is not a problem because you have yet to share anything personal about your spiritual life with anybody else. 
You show up at church? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that's good. Okay, and you leave. And we tell you all the time, that's not church. That's not what he intended. But if you're involved with a small group, a life group, a discussion group, if you're involved with the people and you're like, hey, what's the Lord been teaching you? Listen, I'm really struggling. And you're sharing and praying for each other. And some of what's shared is confidential. And you, I want you to imagine then what would happen if those folks said, um, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure. If, I don't know what to do with our conversation right now because you've got something you need to take care of beforehand. He goes on, he says, shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning? You should have put, him out of, put out of fellowship the man who has been doing this. And that's what he's describing. We're not talking about putting a guard at the door and stopping somebody from coming into church. He's really saying, stop treating them like they're on the inside and start thinking again like they're on the outside. Can you imagine being a Christian in this era? First of all, Jews were on the fringe of society in some cases in this Roman Empire. Christians were on the fringe of the Jewish culture. They had virtually no friends already. Already they were being isolated and disenfranchised. And the only friends you have would be other believers keeping you alive. Can you imagine the devastating effect of them saying, "Um, before we go on, you, you have something you need to take care of be devastating. Um, some of you know, can I tell the China story, Chuck? Chuck was in China, and uh, I said, oh, how was it? You know, and he said, that was good. He says, but he had a startling discovery. Everybody in China is Chinese. <laughs> and you say, well, of course. No, 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 wait. We, free, we, don't, we just don't even think about how diverse our culture is. We see people of different colors and shapes and sizes. You go to China, you realize they're all, like, identical. And then you bump into one white person, one Caucasian. And he said, you used to be like, hey, even if you don't speak English. (laughs) You just, buddy, you know, just somebody that looks familiar, you know. What he's saying is, if the brother is still refusing to, to repent and deal with the sin, they don't get that, hey, anymore. Really difficult. Let's go on. Verse 3. For my part, even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I have already passed judgment, not in the negative way, made a decision, in the name of our Lord Jesus, on the one who has been doing this. So when you are assembled, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Holy cow. Well, first of all, I want you to notice that verse 5, talking about turning them over to Satan, which sounds just absolutely terrifying, is prefaced by several verses talking about, I'm thinking about this, and the leaders have been thinking about this. We're praying about this. The Spirit of the Lord is guiding us. We're not just going into this willy-nilly. This is on-purpose, intentional but when, when that's been done, there is a sense in which, and, and we're not going to get into a lot of word issues with the language, but basically what, what they're doing is, I'm going to put you back out there in the sphere of the devil. The, the devil's in charge of the world system. It's going to kind of put you back out there where you were. The hope is, What? that you'll get bumped around, and you, you, just like a prodigal son, that you say, wait a minute, I do not want to be out here again. 
and they rethink. The whole purpose is restorative. It's not punishment. It's not, oh, we're better than you. It's to restore them. Verse 6, your boasting isn't good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole bunch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread of leavened, leavened with malice and wickedness, but the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now, he's drawing on a metaphor, an image that they would have understood very well, having kind of a Jewish background. And knowing that when you celebrate Passover, the idea is that when they left Egypt, they had to leave quickly. And they didn't even have time to let their bread leaven and rise. And so they had to eat unleavened bread. And now in a, in a ceremony, in a, in a festival that celebrated the Passover, their deliverance from slavery in Egypt, they would eat bread that hadn't been leavened. Everyone understood that you don't put leaven in a little corner of the dough without it affecting the whole lump. Paul's saying, I want you to understand that we're concerned for the one who's sinning, but there's also a concern for you. It's hard to fly like an eagle when you're surrounded by turkeys, right? You, you, this is serious. Be careful that it doesn't infect everyone. And so we talked about this last time, and I'll let you fill in blanks again if you want to. But so there's a lot of reasons to not confront because we're not comfortable. But there are some important reasons to confront sin if we think we see it. One is for the good of the offender. So that, so that they stop doing something that God's going to judge and, and, and they're going to they're have to give account for. Also, to warn other believers. By the way, um, we're dealing with him. So don't, if you were thinking about this, you're dabbling with this, stop now. There is a warning aspect. To isolate the sin before it spreads. Only you can decide whether you would be influenced by sin going on. You know the kind of sin that spreads the fastest is like crankiness. I don't like her little cranky attitude. Wait, what'd you say? I don't like her cranky, oops, <laughs> I just caught it, right? Isolate before it spreads. The testimony of the church. How many churches do you know where already you kind of put your hand over your eyes and think, mm. they're not exactly helping our testimony. They're not exactly helping us. And lastly, for the glory of God. Imagine this, we're worshiping a holy God. We should probably live in a way, oh, they didn't go in. Okay, no worries, don't worry about it. The no spaces. <laughs> I think the guys just realized, whoops. Okay, it doesn't matter. They're blanks. They can stay blank. So what happens when sin is overlooked? Okay, just, I mean, if we don't do this because we're uncomfortable, let's be honest, no one in here, if, you, if you're looking forward to doing this, you need to come see me afterward, okay? Something's wrong with you. If you're like, oh, boy, I can't wait. Get into them. I'm going to tear him a new one. Boy, I'm going to go get him. I'm just going to tear him up. Like, Stop. But the church loses its sense of purity. Once you start sliding, it keeps going. There's a loss of power. How can the Holy Spirit fill us? Remember, we talked about last week, the not, not walk. Quench not, grieve not, but walk with the Spirit. So we know that what stops the Spirit's power in our lives is sin. And if we allow it, the whole church can lose power. A loss of progress. Here we've got 
the Corinthian believers, and they were carnal. They were immature. They're babies. Why? Because of this kind of stuff. Are you happy with where you're at in your spiritual life right now? Almost everybody say, well, no, because it sounds so weird to say, yes, I'm in a great place. But are we sure that we're not in that place because of sin that needs to be dealt with? Lastly, a loss of purpose. We are here to reach the world. And if we have nothing that's different from the world, remember we talked about premarital sex and the, the, the percentages last week, 79% of believers have said that they were involved with premarital sex. We're not judging, but gee whiz, especially when 43% of Muslims said they were and 19% of Hindus. That's not where, where we want to be on that chart. So he goes on. He says in verse 9, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Now he's correct. Let me get this straight. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy or the swindlers or the idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave this world. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister but is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater or a slanderer or a drunkard or a swindler. Whoa! He's calling us to make sure that we're, we're on track, not the people out there. He goes on. He says, don't even eat with such people. Now, again, some of this misses the mark for us because we're like, what do you mean don't eat with people? I go to the mall. I eat with all kinds of people I don't even know. Eating was this intimate act. And, and it is for us, too, in many places. What he's saying is that intimate table fellowship, that closeness like, hey, hey, how's it going? Don't do that with this. Don't act like everything's okay. What business is it of mine, he says, to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. Wow. Now, what does that look like? Before we apply this, and we've got to get to that point so we can go, but before we apply it, I want you to understand that there are some things that we need to talk about about how we do this, the attitude with which we do this. And the first passage comes from Galatians chapter 6. Listen to this encouragement. He says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, now, again, there's the issue, caught, who's looking, who's checking, okay? So we're dealing with something that it's not like we're, we're, we're spying and checking on each other, it, but it becomes apparent. Wait, wait, you did, you did what? Well, I mean, so they didn't really want to do the deal, but I went and did the paperwork because, you know, what does the, the boss doesn't know? So I did the paperwork so as far as they're concerned, so at least I get credit for that. Um, that's wrong. It can be really simple. I mean, we all enjoy paying our taxes. No. It's perfectly okay to try to pay as little tax as possible, but not to lie about it. Please don't, don't, please don't tell me how you got away with something. Because I will say, seriously. So, it says, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person. So here's another point. You catch somebody in sin, but you personally aren't walking with the Spirit, either get right with God or hand it off to somebody else. You're not qualified to do this. 
And you say, yeah, well, I'm, I'm not qualified then. I'm off the hook because I've got my issues too. That's not what he's saying. We all sin. We all stumble. That's not what he's talking about. This is something where it becomes obvious and evident to everybody. Hey, you're doing this and you're acting like it's okay. I'm just, I got to tell you, it's not okay. You who, are, who live by the Spirit should restore that person. How? Gently. Gently. Sometimes we get all excited about this, right? And because we're all excited and nervous about it, we come off just a little wrong. Gently. And guess what else? With humility. Watch yourself. You may also be tempted. So there's gentleness and there's humility. Check yourself. The other passage comes from 2 Thessalonians 3. He says, take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that, and here's the purpose again, that they may feel ashamed. Not, not shame, it's restorative. We, we want them to know, this isn't right, i got to fix this. Now this, verse 15, yet do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. That's what Jesus said, right? He said, when you go to one another, check yourself before you move on to them. In Matthew 7, Jesus said, don't judge or you'll be judged. He's not saying, he's not, he's not disagreeing with what Paul's saying. He's not saying, don't ever judge, don't ever make a judgment. What he's saying is, make sure that we judge the right way. He goes on to write this. For the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And in the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? We go up to somebody and say, hey, let me help you with that little something in your eye, and we got this beam, right? Like, now, what he doesn't say is, hey, you've got logs, so you should never, ever help a brother with a speck. That's not what he says. He says, deal with your log, then go to his speck. But remember the, the perspective. Log, speck. We tend to think, log, speck. I mean, I have my little issues, little issues. It's like a two by 12, you know, like check yourself first. Humility, gentleness, an awareness that I've got to deal with myself first and then let me help you. Then you can see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, in your bulletins, I believe they did go in, right? You've got a pamphlet like this. Okay, so pull that out. I'm going to suggest that you, and I can't believe, well, I lost mine, so somebody can bring me one too. Um, thank you. So I'm going to suggest that if you don't, that you tuck one of these in a Bible someplace, actually keep it with you. But I want to point something out, because this is going to help you, and we're going to talk about this more in the future. If you open this to the middle, okay, this middle part, <clears throat> you're going to see a couple of different pieces. Right in the middle is this slippery slope. This is what happens. We face an issue. We hear about something. Somebody's talking. Somebody posts something. Somebody messages you. Somebody, and, and all of a sudden, oops, there's something that we should do, or there's a conflict. Somebody hurt your feelings. Somebody, you know, trashed somebody. It, they, they, it bothers you. And now here you are on the slippery slope. We tend to go one extreme or the other. One extreme is just to ignore it. You know, whatever. I'm not going to go there. I'm just going to deny it. These escape responses that are listed. You know what, I mean, I have the issues too and whatever, and we say all those things. The truth is it's still bothering us. 
I have no problem going to somebody and confronting them for themselves or for somebody else. But if you offend me, I still hesitate. You know what? Whatever. It doesn't matter. It's just I mean, no big deal. Let it roll off my back. And actually, that's part of the right way to respond. If I can overlook a sin, if it's not going to hurt you, you simply like, okay, so you ruined my lawnmower. You know what? You ruined my lawnmower. The good news is you're not going to ruin my second one because <laughs> that was the only one I have. <laughs> but am I going to be mad at you? Nah, I'm going to overlook it. If I can't overlook it, either because it was too big to overlook or it's going to do somebody else harm, then I've got to start on this process. On the other side, we tend to confront somebody and jump down their throat and have an argument. Okay, so I want you in your free time, sometime, to begin reading through those responses. And around here then are some steps that are associated with dealing with conflict and sin. On the back, You've got practically an entire biblical course on conflict resolution right here. The four G's of peacemaking. This is what our leaders have been trained in. Number one, first goal, glorify God. Guess what? We're going to be having a merger talk. Okay? We're going to be using this all the time. Because we're going to talk about everything. Okay, so... You know, your, 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 Nick, your kids' program where the kids all put on little foil hats and talk to aliens? Yeah, probably not going to do that anymore. Well, ah, and he might get all upset and like, wait, 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 wait. Let's be clear. First of all, what we want to do is bring God, glory to God, right? Okay, so that's our first goal. Let's get that straight. Secondly, I've been checking myself, and, you know, I have a little problem with foil hats to begin with, so i got to confess that. I'm sorry. i got to hang up. My, my mom made me wear a foil hat, foil hat and and hang up. So, you know what? I got to deal with that. Get the log out of my own eye. Gently restore. But let me tell you why I think we have to study the Bible, not put on little hats and listen to aliens or whatever. Because I think it's important that we as adults actually teach children the word. I heard this conversation. A church was playing VeggieTales videos for their children's ministry. To be honest, I love VeggieTales, you know, kind of cool. But when we said, yeah, we got to stop that. <gasps> well, they're great. Nobody said they weren't. But I think we want people teaching our kids the Bible, not just plugging in a tape. And there was a battle, and they were a little hurt. And I was like, well, what are you saying? I don't think it was a bad idea. I didn't say it was a bad idea. I'm saying I think we could do better. And so you work through this process. And then go and be reconciled. Believe it or not, the goal is not to win the argument. The goal is to be able to say, are we good? Are we okay? Get this straight. We must know how to do this as a church. We have to do it for each other because it reflects well on the Lord. So let me just tell you the story before we go. I've seen this work in church. I'm going I'm to change the names. In fact, I don't remember which names I picked. Ah, Robin and Joseph. So, Robin and Joseph were a couple, young couple that started coming to a church where I was the pastor. It was a, it was a church just a little smaller than this, kind of a little country church. And they came in, brand new believers, really raw. Lots of habits that were still a mess. They were, you know, like, even in speech in the hallway, they would use inappropriate words People are like, 
whoopsie, you know. And, but, but we knew they were new believers, and, and so we're putting up with them and kind of coaching them along. And, and Robin began coming to some of the ladies' gatherings. There's a little ladies' Bible study. They sit in a little circle in a room, and they would talk, and they'd pray, and they'd read the little study. And she started coming to that and sharing and growing. He started going to a couple of men's events and men's breakfasts and started getting involved. And they were really growing right along. And through this process, uh, one day she shared about some more intimate details of their lives. And it was shocking information. It was the kind of information that you'd expect to hear from a Jerry Springer show. It's like, what? What? And like, this has been part of their life. It's just kind of how they've rolled. And, and, uh, and the ladies didn't know what to do. And so, you know, ladies were like, um, hey, that's not, that's not good. Okay. Guys talked to Joseph. Hey, that whole thing? Not good. Okay. To make a long story short, though, the behaviors kept on to the point where more and more people were knowing that some of this was going on. And so then two or three people confronted them. And then I had to speak with them. Guys, let me open the word. This is what's supposed to happen. This is what's not supposed to happen. This got to stop. And at some point, something happened, and they said, you know, this is our private business. It's none of your business. Rats. And then eventually, some of the elders came with me. And, and the bottom line is, they said no. Who do you think you are? They got offended, and they finally left. No, oh no, actually, I got to back up. Before they left, they were still at church. They'd show up, and they'd talk to everybody, but they refused to do anything. What do we do? We've all talked to them. Can't threaten them can't stop them from coming in. So we actually met with all of our leaders, and we said, the only thing I know to do is what we read in 1 Corinthians 5. We're going to withdraw fellowship. How do we do that? Well, when we were really careful. Let's think about this. If a guest comes in the foyer, we smile, shake their hand, and say, welcome. So we're still going to smile and shake our head and say, welcome to them when they walk in. And they're welcome to sit in the service? Yep. But what we can't do is all that intimate family stuff, like when you feel like you belong. Hey, by the way, how are you? And what's up? Somehow we have to pull back. It was really awkward. I remember the first woman who spoke to this woman. She said, so how, how are things? She goes, oh, great. She starts telling the whole story. And this woman did this. I'm sorry. I guess I should start at the beginning. I know there was some issue with you guys, and you were talking to Pastor Mike and the leaders, did that get settled? Well, no. Okay. Please let me know when you get that settled. And she walked away. This woman said during the foyer, who does she think she is? So then she walked over and started chatting with another woman, friend, and the woman said, I'm, I'm sorry, wait. Hey, did you guys get that thing worked out? Okay, let me know when you do. And the guys, hey, it's good to see you. I, well, hey, hang on. Um, did you guys get that thing? They came back a second week, but it only took one person the second week. Hey, did you guys get, that's it. We've had it. And they left the church. They left, and they were, they were angry and upset, and all of our hearts sank, and we went, I knew that was going to happen. This is that terrible. We tried to do the right thing. And, just... and it was months. I'm not making this up. This is not a pastor story. Because my wife does not lie. She will tell you. 
I was teaching months and months later in 1 Corinthians 5. I'm not kidding. And who walks in but this couple? In fact, one of my elders came to me and he goes, hey, um, you want to change messages? Because <laughs> we all knew it was going to sound like I'm, yelled, I'm talking right to them. And I thought, this is no accident. I'm not going to change the message. But oh my goodness, I was, I mean, I was literally, you think I pit now? Man, I was sweating. I was like, ah, I was so, so, so tense. And I, as soon as I got up and I said, hey, everybody, welcome. And, like, and, and the, the guy, the, the man in the couple, he goes, and I was like, oh, no. Yeah? He said, sorry. Sorry, Pastor Mike. I know this isn't normal, but I just, I just need to do this right up front. And he said, whatever you've been doing, it works. Because we're sorry. And we can't make it on our own. And whatever it was that we were doing, we don't love that more than we love Jesus. And so we're sorry. He says, I'm sorry we didn't listen, and we just need to be back here. And they stayed. And they stayed. In fact, I messaged uh, Robin just two weeks ago. I said, hey, you're not going to believe what's going to happen. I'm teaching on 1 Corinthians 5. And I'm just wondering if I could have your permission to tell that story. She wrote back, oh, Mike, thank you. Yes, by all means, you have my permission. Joseph and I will be married 25 years this June, and we're doing wonderfully. Don't get me wrong, we have our moments, as all couples do. But I thought of the teachings from that time in our lives on many occasions. God had to show us that his ways were better. We needed to learn them, and you and the church was, were wonderfully patient with us, especially me. On top of my desktop computer, I have Philippians 3.13 to remind me of that time. And that I don't have to live that time in my life anymore but that God wants better of me in my life. Those times were tough, but we found our way through. Yes, tough love was the key. I have always wanted to tell you thank you for the time that you put into our lives. Thank you for doing what you did. My life was spinning out of control in many ways. Today, I am not that person. Neither is Joseph. Today, I can tell you from the bottom of our heart that God used you to save our family. Yeah, amen. Not only can it work, it does work. I want to urge you to have the courage and the faith to obey God's word in the times when it's the most uncomfortable. I want to remind you that you don't have to do it alone. We've got men and women being trained. We got, we'll coach, we'll do, we'll do it, but together. Someday, somehow, you may get a letter about someone that we've actually said, hey, by the way, we're going to encourage you to, to withdraw fellowship from them. We're working with them. And instead of being offended or instead of taking up their cause, instead, I hope you say, oh, boy, I hope this works. Guess who did the correcting? It was those people in the foyer who said, I'm sorry, and you could tell. I really want to talk to you, but you should probably just get that straight first. 
By the way, it was great to watch them talking in the foyer the next few weeks. We're good. We're good. Got it straight. One older man, he looked at me. He saw them, and he looked at me, and I went, he goes, okay. <laughs> Just wanted to know it was good. Do you believe that God's word works? Do you believe the truth that Jesus said? Then we can commit ourselves to that. It will save people's lives and protect the church. Let's pray. We've got to go. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for loving us when we were unlovable, but then also calling us to call out one another, not out of judgment, but out of love. I pray that you would help us as a church to learn how to apply your teaching to our everyday lives. I pray that the knowledge that one of our brothers or sisters will speak to me if they think I'm out of line, I pray that that would be a powerful uh, protection in my life. And I pray that when those around us begin to go off the path and into dangerous territory, the fact that we would love them enough and take the risk to speak to them, I pray that that would be part of what your spirit uses to bring them back to yourself. God, teach us to be a people who are willing to trust you and to love people even when it gets messy. I ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Intro music by bensound.com. Visit us online at crossroads-cc.org.